Section 26 of Library of the World's Best Mystery and Detective Stories, Volume 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. Library of the World's Best Mystery and Detective Stories, Volume 5, by Julian Hawthorne, Editor. Section 26. The Rector of Baby by Sten Stinson Bleacher. Part 2. Oh, if he only were innocent! But I see no hope. The three first witnesses repeated their testimony under oath, word for word. Then came statements by the rector's two farmhands and the dairymaid. The men had been in the kitchen on the fatal day, and as the windows were open, they had heard the quarrel between the rector and Niels. As the widow had stated, these men had also heard the rector say, I will strike you dead at my feet. They further testified that the rector was very quick-tempered, and that when angered he did not hesitate to strike out with whatever came into his hand. He had struck a former hand once with a heavy maul. The girl testified that on the night Jens Larsen claimed to have seen the rector in the garden, she had lain awake and heard the creaking of the garden door. When she looked out of the window, she had seen the rector in his dressing-gown and nightcap go into the garden. She could not see what he was doing there, but she heard the door creak again about an hour later. When the witnesses had been heard, I asked the unfortunate man whether he would make a confession, or else if he had anything to say in his own defence. He crossed his hands over his breast and said, So help me God, I will tell the truth. I have nothing more to say than what I have said already. I struck the dead man with my spade. He fell down, but jumped up in a moment and ran away from the garden out into the woods. What may have happened to him there, or how he came to be buried in my garden, this I do not know. When Jens Larsen and my servant testify that they saw me at night in the garden, either they are lying, or Satan has blinded them. I can see this unhappy man that I am, that I have no one to turn to for help here on earth. Will he who is in heaven be silent also? Then must I bow to his inscrutable will." He bowed his head with a deep sigh. Some of those present began to weep, and a murmur arose that he might possibly be innocent. But this was only the effect of the momentary sympathy called out by his attitude. My own heart indeed spoke for him, but the judge's heart may not dare to dictate to his brain or to his conscience. My conviction forced me to declare that the rector had killed Nils Bruce but certainly without any premeditation or intention to do so. It is true that Niels Bruce had often been heard to declare that he would get even with the rector when the latter least expected it. But it is not known that he had fulfilled his threat in any way. Every man clings to life and honour as long as he can. Therefore the rector persists in his denial. My poor Mette, she is lost to me for this life at least, just as I had learnt to love her so dearly. I have had a hard fight to fight to-day. 
as i sat alone pondering over this terrible affair in which it is my sad lot to have to give judgment the door opened and the rector's daughter i may no longer call her my betrothed rushed in and threw herself at my feet i raised her up clasped her in my arms and we wept together in silence i was first to control myself i know what you would say dear heart you want me to save your father alas god help us poor mortals i cannot do it tell me dearest one tell me truly do you yourself believe your father to be innocent she crossed her hands on her heart and sobbed i do not know then she burst into tears again but he did not bury him in the garden she continued after a few moments the man may have died in the woods from the blow that may have happened but dearest heart i said jens larsen and the girl saw your father in the garden that night she shook her head slowly and answered the evil one blinded their eyes she wept bitterly again tell me beloved she began again after a while tell me frankly this much if god sends us no further enlightenment in this unfortunate affair what sentence must you give she gazed anxiously at me her lips trembling if i did not believe i began slowly that any one else in my place would be more severe than i then i would gladly give up my position at once and refuse to speak the verdict but i dare not conceal from you that the mildest sentence that god our king and our laws demand is a life for a life she sank to her knees then sprang up again fell back several steps as if afraid of me and cried out would you murder my father would you murder your betrothed bride see here see this she came nearer and held up her hand with my ring on it before my eyes do you see this betrothal ring what was it my father said when you put this ring upon my finger i have given my maid unto thy bosom but you you thrust the steel deep into my bosom alas every one of her words cut deep into my own heart dearest love i cried do not speak so you thrust burning irons into my heart what would you have me do acquit him when the laws of god and man condemn she was silent sobbing desperately one thing i can do i continued if it be wrong may god forgive me if the trial goes on to an end his life is forfeited there is no hope except in flight if you can arrange an escape i will close my eyes i will not see or hear anything as soon as your father was imprisoned i wrote to your brother in copenhagen he can arrive any moment now talk to him make friends with the jailer if you lack money all i have is yours when i had finished her face flushed with joy and she threw her arms about my neck god bless you for these words were my brother but here 
he will know what to do but where shall we go her tone changed suddenly and her arms dropped even should we find a refuge in a foreign country i could never see you again her tone was so sad that my heart was near to breaking beloved i exclaimed i will find you wherever you may hide yourself should our money not be sufficient to support us i can work for us all i have learned to use the axe and the hoe she rejoiced again and kissed me many times we prayed to god to bless our undertaking and parted with glad hearts i also hoped for the best doubts assail me but god will find for us some light in this darkness two more new witnesses they bring nothing good i fear for bruce announced them with an expression i did not like he has a heart of stone which can feel nothing but malice and bitterness i give them a hearing to-morrow i feel as if they had come to bear witness against me myself may god strengthen my heart all is over he has confessed the court was in session and the prisoner had been brought in to hear the testimony of the new witnesses these men stated as follows on the night in question they were walking along the path that led between the woods and the rectory garden a man with a large sack on his back came out of the woods and walked ahead of them toward the garden they could not see his face but in the bright moonlight his figure was clearly visible and they could see that he wore a loose green garment like a dressing-gown and a white nightcap the man disappeared through an opening in the rectory garden fence scarcely had the first witness ended his statement when the rector turned ghastly pale and gasped in a voice that could scarcely be heard i'm ill they gave him a chair bruce turned to his neighbor and exclaimed audibly that helped the rector's memory the prisoner did not hear the words but motioned to me and said lead me back to my prison i will talk to you there they did as he demanded we set out at once for greno the rector was in the wagon with the jailer and the gendarme and i rode beside them when the door of the cell was opened my beloved was making up her father's bed and over a chair by the bedside hung the fatal green dressing-gown my dear betrothed greeted me with a cry of joy as she believed that i was come to set her father free she hung about the old man's neck kissing away the tears that rolled unhindered down his cheeks i had not the heart to undeceive her and i sent her out into the town to buy some things for us sit down dear friend said the rector when we were alone he seated himself on the bed staring at the ground with eyes that did not see finally he turned toward me where i sat trembling as if it were my own sentence i was to hear as in a manner it was i am a great sinner he sighed 
God only knows how great. His punishment crushes me here, that I may enter into his mercy hereafter. He grew gradually calmer, and began. Since my childhood I have been hot-tempered and violent. I could never endure contradiction, and was always ready to give a blow. But I have seldom let the sun go down upon my wrath and I have never borne hatred toward any man. As a half-grown boy, I killed our good, kind watchdog in one of my fits of rage for some trifling offense, and I have never ceased to regret it. Later, as a student in Leipzig, I let myself be carried away sufficiently to wound seriously my adversary in one of four fencing boats. A merciful fate alone saved me from becoming a murderer then. It is for these earlier sins that I am now being punished, but the punishment falls doubly hard now that I am an old man, a priest, a servant of the Lord of Peace, and a father. Ah, that is the deepest wound. He sprang up and wrung his hands in deep despair. I would have said something to comfort him but I could find no words for such sorrow. When he had controlled himself somewhat, he sat down again, and continued, To you, once my friend, and now my judge, I will confess this crime, which it seems beyond a doubt that I have committed, although I am not conscious of having done so. I was startled at this, as I had expected a remorseful confession listen well to what i shall now tell you that i struck the unfortunate man with a spade that he fell down and then ran away this is all that i know with full consciousness what followed then four witnesses have seen that i fetched the body and buried it in my garden and now at last i am forced to believe that it must be true these are my reasons for the belief Three or four times in my life I have walked in my sleep. The last time it may have been nine or ten years ago. I was to have held a funeral service on the following day over the body of a man who had died a sudden and terrible death. I could not find a suitable text until suddenly there came to me the words of an old Greek philosopher. Call no man fortunate until his death. It was in my mind that the same idea was expressed in different words in the Holy Scriptures. I sought and sought, but could not find it. At last I went to bed much fatigued and slept soundly. Next morning, when I sat down at my desk, to my great astonishment, I saw there a piece of paper on which was written, Call no man happy until his end hath come. Sirach 11, verse 34, and following it was a funeral sermon, short, but as good in construction as any I have ever written. And all this was in my own handwriting. It was quite out of the question that anyone could have entered the room during the night, as I had locked it myself, and it had not been opened until I entered next day. I knew what had happened, as I could remember one or two such occurrences in my life before. Therefore, dear friend, when the last witnesses gave their testimony today, 
I suddenly remembered my sleepwalking exploits, and I also remembered what had slipped my mind before, that on the morning after the night the body was buried, I had found my dressing-gown in the hall outside of my bedroom. This had surprised me, as I always hung it over a chair near my bed. The unfortunate victim of my violence must have died in the woods from his wound, and in my dream consciousness I must have seen this and gone to fetch the body. It must be so. I know no other explanation. God have mercy on my sinful soul. He was silent again, covering his face with his hands and weeping bitterly. I was struck dumb with astonishment and uncertainty. I had always suspected that the victim had died on the spot where he was buried, although I could not quite understand how the rector had managed to bury the body by day without being seen. But I thought that he might have covered it lightly with earth and twigs and finished his work at night. He was a man of sufficient strength of mind to have done this. When the latest witnesses were telling their story, I noted the possible contradiction, and hoped it might prove a loophole of escape. But, alas, it was all only too true, and the guilt of the rector proven beyond a doubt. It was not at all impossible for a man to do such things in his sleep, just as it was quite possible that a man with a fractured skull could run some distance before he fell to die. The rector's story bore the stamp of truth, although the doubt will come that he desired thus to save a shred of honour for his name. The prisoner walked up and down the room several times, then stopping before me he said gravely, "'You have now heard my confession, here in my prison walls.' It is your mouth that must speak my sentence. But what says your heart? I could scarcely utter the words. My heart suffers beyond expression. I would willingly see it break if I could but save you from a shameful death. I dared not mention to him my last hope of escape in flight. That is impossible, he answered. My life is forfeited, my death is just, and shall serve as a warning to others. But promise me that you will not desert my poor daughter. I had thought to lay her in your arms. Tears choked his voice. But, alas, that fond hope is vanished. You cannot marry the daughter of a sentenced murderer. But promise me that you will watch over her as her second father. In deep sorrow and in tears I held his hand in mine. Have you any news from my son? he began again. I hope it will be possible to keep him in ignorance of this terrible affair until, until it is all over. I could not bear to see him now. And now, dear friend, let us part not to meet again except in the hall of justice. Grant me of your friendship one last service. Let it end soon. I long for death. Go now, my kind, sympathetic judge. Send for me to-morrow to speak my sentence, 
and send to-day for my brother in god the pastor in alse he shall prepare me for death god be with you he gave me his hand with his eyes averted i staggered from the prison hardly conscious of what i was doing i would have ridden home without seeing his daughter had she not met me by the prison door she must have seen the truth in my face for she paled and caught at my arm she gazed at me with her soul in her eyes but could not speak flee save your father in flight was all i could say i set spurs to my horse and rode home somehow to-morrow then the sentence is spoken the accused was calmer than the judge all those present except his bitter enemy were affected almost to tears some whispered that the punishment was too severe may god be a milder judge to me than i poor sinner am forced to be to my fellow-man she has been here she found me ill in bed there is no escape possible he will not flee everything was arranged and the jailer was ready to help but he refuses he longs for death god be merciful to the poor girl how will she survive the terrible day i am ill in body and soul i can neither aid nor comfort her there is no word from the brother i feel that i am near death myself as near perhaps as he is whom i sent to his doom farewell my own beloved bride what will she do she is so strangely calm the calm of wordless despair her brother has not yet come and to-morrow on the raven's hill here the diary of erik sorensen stopped suddenly what followed can be learned from the written and witness statements of the pastor of alse the neighboring parish to Weyby. Two. It was during the seventeenth year of my term of office that the terrible event happened in the neighborhood which filled all who heard of it with shock and horror and brought shame and disgrace upon our holy calling. The venerable Sir Enquist, rector of Weyby, killed his servant in a fit of rage and buried the body in his garden. He was found guilty at the official trial through the testimony of many witnesses, as well as through his own confession. He was condemned to death, and the sentence was carried out in the presence of several thousand people on the little hill known as Raven's Hill, here in the field of Alse. The condemned man had asked that I might visit him in his prison. I must state that I have never given the holy sacrament to a better prepared or more truly repentant Christian. He was calm to the last, full of remorse for his great sin. On the field of death he spoke to the people in words of great wisdom and power, preaching to the text from the Lamentations of Jeremiah 
chapter two verse six he hath despised the priest in the indignation of his anger he spoke of his violence and of its terrible results and of his deep remorse he exhorted his hearers to let his sin and his fate be an example to them and a warning not to give way to anger then he commended his soul to the lord removed his upper garments bound up his eyes with his own hand then folded his hands in prayer when i had spoken the words brother be of good cheer this day shalt thou be with thy saviour in paradise his head fell by the axe the one thing that made death bitter for him was the thought of his children the son had been sent for from copenhagen but as we afterwards learnt he had been absent from the city and therefore did not arrive until shortly after his father had paid the penalty for his crime i took the daughter into my home where she was brought half fainting after they had led her father from the prison she had been tending him lovingly all the days of his trial what made even greater sorrow for the poor girl and for the district judge who spoke the sentence was that these two young people had solemnly plighted their troth but a few short weeks before in the rectory of Veby. the sun arrived just as the body of the executed criminal was brought into my house it had been permitted to us to bury the body with christian rites if we could do it in secret the young man threw himself over the lifeless body then clasping his sister in his arms the two wept together in silence for some while at midnight we held a quiet service over the remains of the rector of Veby, and the body was buried near the door of alse church a simple stone upon which i have carved a cross still stands to remind the passer-by of the sin of a most unfortunate man the next morning his two children had disappeared they have never been heard of since god knows to what far-away corner of the world they have fled to hide their shame and their sorrow the district judge is very ill and it is not believed that he will recover may god deal with us all after his wisdom and his mercy lord inscrutable are thy ways in the thirty-eighth year of my service and twenty-one years after my unfortunate brother in office the rector of Waby, had been beheaded for the murder of his servant it happened one day that a beggar came to my door he was an elderly man with gray hair and walked with a crutch he looked sad and needy none of the servants were about so i myself went into the kitchen and gave him a piece of bread i asked him where he came from he sighed and answered from nowhere in particular then i asked him his name he sighed still deeper looked about him as if in fear and said they once called me niels bruce i was startled and said god have mercy on us that is a bad name that is the name of a man who was killed many years back whereat the man sighed still deeper and replied it would have been better for me had i died then 
It has gone ill with me since I left the country. At this the hair rose on my head, and I trembled in every limb. For it seemed to me that I could recognize him, and also it seemed to me that I saw Morton Bruce before me in the flesh, and yet I had laid the earth over him three years before. I stepped back and made the sign of the cross, for verily I thought it was a ghost I saw before me. But the man sat down in the chimney-corner and continued to speak. Reverend Father, they tell me my brother Morton is dead. I have been to Ingvorstrup, but the new owner chased me away. Is my old master, the rector of Weby, still alive? Then it was that the scales fell from my eyes, and I saw into the very truth of this whole terrible affair. But the shock stunned me so that I could not speak. The man bit into his bread greedily and went on. Yes, that was all Brother Morton's fault. Did the old rector have much trouble about it? Niels, Niels, I cried from out the horror of my soul. You have a monstrous black sin upon your conscience. For your sake, that unfortunate man fell by the axe of the executioner. The bread and the crutch fell from his hand, and he himself was near to falling into the fire. "'May God forgive you, Morton,' he groaned. "'God knows I didn't mean anything like that. May my sin be forgiven me. But surely you only mean to frighten me. I come from far away and have heard nothing. No one but you, Reverend Father, has recognized me. I have told my name to no one. When I asked them in baby if the rector was still there, they said that he was. That is the new rector, I replied. Not he whom you and your sinful brother have slain. He wrung his hands and cried aloud, and then I knew that he had been but a tool in the hands of that devil Morton. Therefore I set to work to comfort him, and took him into my study that he might calm himself sufficiently to tell me the detail of this Satan's work. This was the story as he tells it. His brother Morton, truly son of Belial, cherished a deadly hatred toward Pastor Søren Quist, since the day the latter had refused him the hand of his daughter. As soon as he heard that the pastor's coachman had left him, he persuaded Niels to take the place. "'Watch your chance well,' he had said. "'We'll play the black coat a trick some day, and you will be no loser by it.' Niels, who was rough and defiant by nature, soon came to a quarrel with his master, and when he had received his first chastisement, he ran at once to Ingvorstrup to report it. "'Let him strike you just once again,' said Morton. "'Then come to me, and we will pay him for it.' Then came the quarrel in the garden, and Niels ran off to Ingvorstrup. He met his brother in the woods, and told him what had occurred. "'Did anyone see you on the way here?' asked Morton. Niels thought not. "'Good,' said Morton. "'Now we'll give him a fright that he will not forget for a week or so.' He led Niels carefully to the house, and kept him hidden there the rest of the day. When all the household else had gone to sleep, 
the two brothers crept out and went to a field where several days before they had buried the body of a man of about Neil's age, size, and general appearance. He had hanged himself, some said, because of ill-treatment from Morton, in whose service he was. Others said it was because of unhappy love. They dug up the corpse, although Niels did not like the work, and protested. But Morton was the stronger, and Niels had to do as he was ordered. They carried the body back with them into the house. Then Niels was ordered to take off all his clothes, piece by piece, even to his shirt, and dress the dead man in them. Even his leaden earring, which he had worn for many years, was put in the ear of the corpse. After this was done, Morton took a spade and gave the head of the corpse two crashing blows, one over the nose, the other on the temple. The body was hidden in a sack and kept in the house during the next day. At night, the day following, they carried it out to the wood near Weby. Several times Niels had asked of his brother what all this preparation boded, but Morton answered only, that is my affair. Do as I tell you, and don't ask questions. When they neared the edge of the wood by Waby, Morton said, Now fetch me one of the coats the pastor wears most. If you can, get the green dressing gown. I have often seen him wear mornings. I don't dare, said Niels. He keeps it in his bedchamber. Well, then, I'll dare it myself, said Morton. And now you go your way, and never show yourself here again. Here is a bag with one hundred thalers. They will last you until you can take service somewhere in another country. Go where no one has ever seen you, and take another name. Never come back to Denmark again. Travel by night, and hide in the woods by day until you are well aware from here. Here are provisions enough to last you for several days. And remember, never show yourself here again, as you value your life. Niels obeyed, and has never seen his brother since that day. He had had much trouble, had been a soldier, and lost his health in the war, and finally, after great trials and sufferings, had managed to get back to the land of his birth. This was the story as told me by the miserable man, and I could not doubt its truth. It was now only too clear to me that my unfortunate brother in the Lord had fallen a victim to the hatred of his fiendish enemy, to the delusion of his judge and the witnesses, and to his own credulous imagination. Oh, what is man that he shall dare to sit in judgment over his fellows? God alone is the judge. He who gives life may alone give death. I did not feel it my duty to give official information against this crushed and broken sinner, particularly as the district judge is still alive, and it would have been cruelty to let him know of his terrible error. Instead, I gave what comfort my office permitted to the poor man, and recommended him not to reveal his name or tell his story to anyone in the district. On these conditions I would give him a home until I could arrange for a permanent refuge for him in my brother's house, a good distance from these parts. The day following was a Sunday. 
when I returned from evening service at my branch parish, the beggar had disappeared. But by the evening of the next day the story was known throughout the neighborhood. Goaded by the pangs of conscience, Niels had gone to Rosmer and made himself known to the judge as the true Niels Bruce. Upon the hearing of the terrible truth, the judge was taken with a stroke and died before the week was out. But on Tuesday morning they found Niels Bruce dead on the grave of the late rector Sörenquist of Veby by the door of Alse Church. End of section 26 Read by Lars Rolander